it will have absolutely no impact uh except for the fact that you know people will be wearing those disgustingly awful overalls with the stripes Hello and welcome into another episode of The Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and joining me once again in person is Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how's it going? I'm doing well. Um, you know, last week it was uh, just another game. Boring. Yep. Just, just, just it was game. boring. It was just another game. They went 1-0, though. That yeah. is, uh, as we will hear, nonstop over wanna the know, next... 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. Just 1-0 all the time. No big picture stuff, just 1-0. I digress. Uh, but yes, we are talking about... Penn State's win over Villanova, 38-17. Should have been 38-3, could have been 52-3, um, but we can get into that, the reason those things happened. Penn State was the superior team, had more talent. Talent gap showed up right away with a Jahan Dotson touchdown on Penn State's first offensive play of the game. Showed up on every seemingly every uh, offensive series for Villanova as long as the starters were in and, you know, led to the blowout victory. So I'll let you kick this off. Your main takeaway from Penn State's 38-17 win over Villanova. I mean, it shouldn't have been just 38-17. Like we I mean, like you said, it was 31-3 heading into the first into the fourth quarter, right? And then you go in and allow those two touchdowns. I mean, I, even though we're talking about a way even the backups are far more talented than Villanova starters. Um, this shouldn't happen. And I understand that it was a tune up game and it getting some of these young guys some reps, but even then, I'm like, they should look a little bit better, in my opinion. I mean, some guys stood out. I mean, we, you know, before we got on this show, like, I want to say back in, uh, back in like, early May, um, you know, me and you talked about how, like, some of the freshmen that could make an impact down the line, guys like, uh, you know, it was good to see Zachy Wheatley in there. He he made a tackle, and he actually got rated pretty well in uh, – for uh, PFF this week. So, I mean, he had like a, a high 70 score. Well, and, and the thing is, too, with someone like that, he's making the transition from safety to corner. And honestly, like, I understand that they have him at corner right now. Body type, play style, still screams safety, yes. safety to me in the long run. Like, I think at the end of the day, the coverage stuff will obviously help when he moves to safety. I do think he's a safety, um, you know, when he's a junior, whenever he's a redshirt sophomore, whatever, um, just based on how he plays and what he excels at. But you're right. The the freshmen, to some extent, some of them look good, and some of them looked like freshmen. Yeah, and looked and, like they had it, no business being out there. And that'll also happen. So I can't, I can't get, I can't be too tough on the freshmen because yeah. I, I think they were, you know, they were freshmen, and they were facing Villanova starters who aren't as talented but have three, four years of experience. The freshmen don't. So I, you know, I don't want to hold too much against them. That being said, Kalen King was one of the guys that got burned. Kalen King is a part of the rotation. Yeah, cornerback, and he, um, he. This was not his best game. Uh, he he got roasted on the outside by a Villanova wide receiver that he, frankly, is more talented than, uh, and and I would venture to guess, you know, uh, faster than too. I haven't seen forty times for both of them, but King is a good athlete, um, and at the very least, a very good technician who, who should have been able to blow up the the uh, fly route before it got going. Backups aside, you know, aside from the fact that they should have won by forty plus and not twenty one, are you concerned about this running game right now? Uh, if they don't use John Lovett more often, because I think John Lovett should—I mean, the way I've seen so far—I mean, he—he he looks like him and him and Lee look like their most consistent guys, and I think that 
you know, they should go with a heavier dosage of those two. Um, I would lean love it just because of, you know, his experience and his, um, you know, he's been popping 4.5 yards a carry. Uh, you know, I, I think he looks, he looks pretty good. You know, he's looked decent in his runs. Um, you know, I, I still think I want to see more. And it, it starts with the offensive line. If the offensive line is getting pushed back, I mean, you can't have anybody run the ball. So, I mean, that that's where it all starts off at. I don't know if it's because of scheme where guys just, you know, for whatever reason, they're just getting pushed off the off the ball. I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it does not look like the offensive line isn't getting they're getting any push. And I don't know. I mean, you could probably speak to it more just because you understand your is, you know, running game a little bit better than I do. But, um, you know, what do you think it is that is causing this problem? Do you think it's because of the scheme a little bit and it doesn't fit the offensive linemen that they have? So I, I think there are a few things at play here, right? I, I don't think uh, you can attribute it to any one person, any one position group, any one coach, any one player, whatever. Um, and James Franklin sort of said the same today at their in his weekly press conference that it's it's everyone and usually that's coach speak right like usually that is uh, you know the oh we all got to take blame like we're all we're in this together whatever uh, but I think he's right with this um, the the offensive line isn't getting enough push it's a hundred percent a concern uh, especially with Mike Miranda at center he's he's kind of overwhelmed at times in the running game and. For a lineman who's sort of supposed to be like a road grader and was in high school, he never grew, he never got bigger, he never got stronger, and so now he's – I don't want to say he never got stronger. He never – like his, his frame just doesn't hold as much weight as you would like um, for an, a power five lineman. So instead of, you know, developing, he's he stayed kind of as the same player but marginally better each step. And he's getting he's getting blown up by some Big Ten level defensive tackles and this weekend an FCS level defensive tackle. Um, I think the, the real concern is – is a little bit overblown with this, right? Like I, I don't know that I'm, I'm worried about the run game in the long run because uh, I, I do think I'm worried about Noah Kane. I'm 100 with you on that. I think Noah Kane is probably their third best running back right now, behind Kevon Lee and John Lovett. And if Kevon Lee wasn't making the mistakes he is with going east west, with fumbling the ball, uh, with going backwards sometimes, uh, I think he probably would be getting more snaps or would deserve more at least. Um, I, and Lovett, I think, is more talented. Uh, he has some of the same power, but he's faster, better at breaking big plays. The, the The biggest thing here is James Franklin talked a lot about this being an ex, like their short passing game being an extension of the run game. I don't think Mike Yersich wants his offense to be solely dependent on running the ball anyways. You want to be able to do it. They've been able to do it in short yardage situations. You and I noticed this weekend they ran a T formation where they basically – the handed the ball off to the weak side guy, the the strong side uh, back and the the tight end that I believe was lined up between them, both served as lead blockers and got the first down, so they can get it when they need it. I just don't know that. I don't know that they're going to need it that often, and quite frankly, I don't know that they're not just going to be able to go to Dotson right, and they're not just going to be able to go to Keandre Lambert Smith on bubble screens, on tunnel screens, whatever you want to call to get them the ball and let them go to work. Parker Washington too. So while I, you want to be able to run the ball. Right, like there's no doubt about that. You want to be able to run the ball. I just don't know that it's going to be necessary for them to do it to succeed. And I think the wide receivers are good enough. Just keep throwing it. Uh, and, and the other part of this is defenses so far, and Franklin mentioned this as well, have been begging them to throw the ball. Right, they're putting seven eight in the box on every single play. They're trying to stop the run. Well, if they're selling out to stop the run, and you can and you can pass because of it, just keep passing it. And that's sort of what's been happening to this point in the season. 
And, um, you know, with, with that being said, too, I, I mean, you got to, you know, I, I think back to, you know, those old Andy Reid offenses with uh, the Eagles and how, you know, it was more it was more or less pass to open up the run than it was run up run to open up the pass or as short passes to open up the long passes than it was for the run game, except for when Brian Westbrook was there. Well, and I think one one thing, too, that people sort of fall into the trap of is this idea that, well, if if you run if you're not good at running the ball, play action's not there. You don't actually have to be running the ball well for play action to work. You just need them to think you're running the ball. And if it's a running situation, they will believe you're going to run the ball, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be because you've been running it all game. That can help and it can and it can open it things up that way. But if it's a running situation, you run play action, it should work regardless of your play calling in the past, just based on how these things go. So I think that gets overblown a little bit too. And like you said, we've seen plenty of offenses in the past where it's just, okay, throw it short to open up, throwing it deep, throw it short to open up, throwing it in the middle of the field. And that that has been really effective. And it's yeah. been what Penn State does. And Mike Yersich, they run a lot of a lot of zone run. They don't run a ton of power. It's a lot of inside outside zone. And, and you know, that involves zone blocking and getting guys moving in the open field. And, you know, part of that is if a if a defender just hits the gap hard and hits the opening that's created by a pulling guard, well, he's gonna make a play and it's gonna be tougher. Um, so I, I don't know that, like I said, you want to be able to run the ball. I don't know that this is a real long-term issue for Penn State because, frankly, if they're going to throw it like this, I don't know that it's going to matter all that much. Yeah, and then especially since, like, next year, I mean, they're going to have guys that are going to, one, compete for starting roles like Landon Tengwall. Yeah, um, he's well, going to come and in. Not to mention, Nicholas Singleton is going to come in at running back yep. and is going to be one of the best running backs they've had in, in the last three or four years, basically since Sanders and Saquon have been here. Yep, exactly. And when you have that coming in, I, I just think that it's going to completely change the face of, you know, one, the offense when it comes to the offensive line. Two, you know, not to mention they have – I mean, I, I think what they'll be able to to mold, you know, that that's the biggest thing being able to mold it being able to you know get these young guys on board next year um i think that'll make way more much more of a difference especially you know we always talk about how when you have your guys you know and when mike yersich has his guys and i think drew lar is his guy you know i think that you know some of these other kids that are coming in like you said singleton and you know, a few of the other offensive linemen, they are Caden his guys. Saunders at wide out. Like, exactly. Is, is a stud right away. And if they're this good now with with guys that aren't his guys, we can only imagine what he can do with his own players that he can mold to his own liking. So, And, and I think that takes us to the inevitable point in the conversation, the conversation that happens every single week, and that's because it's going to happen all season. That's about Sean Clifford. Uh, who isn't your sister's guy, but has been better this year than he was last year, I think undoubtedly. Uh, one co-offensive player of the week this week in the Big Ten. And just as I said in my Good, Bad, Ugly column Sunday, I'm sure this will go over well, but I didn't think he was particularly good on Saturday. Uh, I thought he struggled with accuracy again. I thought he struggled in the pocket and ran into a sack, uh, or ran into a couple potential sacks, I should say, against better opponents. And I don't know if he just wasn't locked in, which Franklin mentioned that, you know, some of the team didn't seem as up to the task, I guess, is the best way to put it. Those hit my words, not his. Um, in practices earlier in the week, they didn't have the same intensity. Um, I I wonder if Clifford was one of those guys who maybe 
you know, um, I don't want to say underestimated Villanova, but took it a little bit for granted, and he wasn't on his game. Uh, he was much better, I thought, against Auburn than he was against Villanova. There were a lot of passes that he uh, wasn't on the mark for and that, that didn't turn out well. Ironically enough, his two best passes of the day, I thought, were one, the, the touchdown to Jahan Dotson, which was a beautiful ball on the 52-yard touchdown to Dotson, and two, uh, the interception that he threw because he had Keandre Lambert-Smith right in the chest, and Lambert-Smith dropped it. It kicked up in the air, um, led to an interception. I just think he he wasn't he wasn't patient enough in the pocket like he had been in the past. He had run the ball a couple more times than he had in the past. And when I say in the past, I mean this season because it looked, you know, we all saw how he played last year. I just think he needs to be more refined like he was in previous weeks than he was this week for Penn State to hit its ceiling. And listen, this is admittedly probably the first blemish that's like, okay, this wasn't good. And, and I get it. People probably think it's crazy. Through for 400 yards. It's the most uh, – that you know, uh, in the United that that a guy for Penn State is thrown for in the United States, the only other being Christian Hackenberg, who did it in Dublin, Ireland. So, technically, that is true. Uh, but the 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 problem with Clifford's inconsistency last year was the issues it caused for the offense when it came to just simply moving the ball down the field. Those didn't arise as much because he got bailed out by Dotson and Lambert Smith in Washington. But the the best example of a player that worked out well. But wasn't a good throw to me was the, the the ball that went down to the nine yard line I believe uh, the catch by Parker Washington where it was a cool play design I thought Mike Yurisich the, the the line slide protects left Clifford takes the snap turns as if he's going to look left takes two steps backward sort of moving left and throws a, away from his body like not necessarily across across his body but against where he was moving uh, to Parker Washington and Washington had wide open field on the right side of the field. The problem is it was underthrown. He had to come back to it, and he had to make a contested catch. Then made a move in the open field and started uh, going and ended up at the ninth. They had to settle, I believe, for a field goal on that drive. If Clifford throws that ball to the open field, it's an easy touchdown. Uh, but he didn't. And, you know, it ends up looking like a really good play. But, you know, the box score will tell you that that's a net positive. But your eyes can tell you otherwise sometimes. And I think that is emblematic of what this game was for Clifford. Yeah, it was. it was no... No ifs, ands, or buts about that, and I just, I just thought that he wasn't, he wasn't. I mean, it wasn't an ideal game for him. It was not an ideal game for him. I thought he, you know, like we we always talk about how he gets skittish in the pocket. He looked incredibly skittish at times in the pocket. Um, and I know everyone, like like you said, everyone's gonna look at the box score. Everyone's gonna sit there and say, uh, well. You know, Clifford played fine. I don't understand what you're talking about. Look at the box well, score. I mean, the Big Ten clearly thought so. He got co-offensive player of the week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they were – well, they saw stats. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was that's it. all that is. And, um, you know, that to me, I'm just like, well, hey, look, if you're going to go by stats, it is what it is. But, I mean, we saw what we saw, and I think that he could have played much better. And, you know, if, that, if that's the case, I mean, that's a good – if you if this is your bad game, you know that's not a bad situation to be in because even PFF had him graded pretty highly. I mean he he graded higher than he did at Auburn, which I mean against Auburn, which I'm like, and eh, did you guys actually watch this or did you just go by the stats? And I'm like, you know he in Auburn for his for his entire grade he had a 77.9. And then against Nova, he had 86.1. I don't necessarily agree with that. I really think they should flip the two, but, you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. It is. If you want to have a performance like this where you're not on the money on everything, 
where you're not always making the right decisions, where you're, you know, a little bit more skittish, maybe you weren't at your best. You want it to come against the FCS opponent that you're going to beat by 20 even when you're not at your best. And it did. And I'm not, I don't even think this is necessarily indicative of who Clifford will be for the rest of the year. I tend to think we will see the quarterback, a mix of who he was against Ball State and Auburn the rest of the year. Um, I don't think Wisconsin's indicative of this or, or, or of the rest of the year, or really this is. I think that's probably the median, right? That Auburn Ball State kind of performance. And listen, the Auburn side might be the high end of it, which is a pretty high high end. The Ball State side is probably the middle tier of it, which is a pretty high middle tier. Like he can he can lead this team to some good things. I just think it got overblown a little bit. Um, what he did this weekend, uh, I, I think he made some miscues that that you can't make against good teams. And fortunately, they weren't a good team. But well, this weekend he is facing a good team, and the record may not seem to indicate that with a uh, I believe a two and two Indiana team at this point. Uh, but nonetheless, this is an Indiana team that beat Penn State last year led by the same quarterback, led by the same head coach, led by the same offensive coordinator. This is a 2-2 two and two Indiana team that you know has wins over Idaho at 56-14 and 33-31 over Western Kentucky. Uh, a good Western Kentucky offense, by the way. Uh, holding them to 31 points is, is nothing to scoff at. And then losses, of course, to Iowa and Cincinnati, two top 10 undefeated teams. Hard to um, really hard to admonish them over that. Those are, those are two legitimately excellent football teams, one of which Penn State will face next week. Um, but again, Indiana may not be going, you know, may not win 75% of its games like the, like it did last year, but still a, a good challenge for Penn State getting back into conference play the week before going to Iowa. So I'll let you once again kick this off. What are you looking at as the, the, the key factors we're looking at, the main uh, point of contention between these two teams this weekend? I think that Penn State can't go to sleep at the wheel like they – I think they went to sleep at the wheel, and luckily for them – they had a, a, a co-pilot called Villanova is just not as good as them. <laughs> An FCS week. opponent will do that. Yes, exactly. And, you know, Indiana, we've seen what Indiana can do in the past. Um, of course, this is I wouldn't say this is the same Indiana team as last year. And I also think that Penn State was a far different team last year. You know, Penn State was not a, as crisp as I'd say that they are this season. I think they look like a totally different team. I think they look, you know, more everybody looks a little bit more hands-on this year and you know no pun intended because of COVID, without COVID or I guess you still have COVID here but it's not to the same extent uh the restrictions anyway and I, I think that because of that you know this Penn State team looks how they were supposed to look in the first place you know and and now I mean what I said about Penn State before the season I said this is a team that I think if all goes well, I think they go 10-2. and two. I mean, I think that they're a better team than Indiana, but also you got to show that you're a better team. I mean, it's still a Big Ten matchup. You still got to go on and punch them in the mouth. I mean, it's a 7-30 game. You know, this isn't – it's not like you're playing, you know, South southwestern Louisiana State. It's not like playing Yeah, exactly. So yeah, – <laughs> FC, FCS Northeast. <laughs> you can just say it. It's not like you're playing Villanova. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this is uh, this is a big matchup FCS, for Penn State. FCS Northeast. <laughs> yes, yeah. As those of us who love NCA 14 would know, FCS Northeast, Southeast, you name it. Uh, but no, I, I think you're right. With this, isn't the same Indiana team as last year. Um, I don't know that the defense is far off, right, from the Indiana defense. Uh, the way they 
They played again last week. Uh, people will see Western Kentucky and see that that was close and sort of be surprised. That's a really good Western Kentucky offense. Uh, I think they could put up 30 points against a lot of people. And uh, the you know the, the, the biggest issue for Indiana is Michael Penix until last week looked like a completely different quarterback, and that is not a good thing. Um, he looked hesitant. He looked like he didn't want to throw the ball. He looked like when he threw his ball, threw the ball, he didn't trust his knee, which uh, he tore his ACL, I believe, for the, either the second or third time in his career um, this past season. So, like, you need you need him to have his confidence back. You need him to trust his legs, like just trust driving through his throws, trust running with the ball. And he showed that against Western Kentucky, which is a good sign for Indiana. That's kind of the matchup I, I think we have to watch again, right? Like, this is the guy who beat Penn State last year. He dove in or dove near the goal line, depending on your your viewpoint of that final play. And our uh, excellent photographer, Abby Dry, had a, an excellent photo of that that showed potentially that near is probably the, the more operative term there than, than uh, into. Uh, but nonetheless, it was called a two-point conversion. Penn State lost 36-35. And it changed the trajectory of the season, quite frankly. I thought Penn State was never the same after that. I, I thought that really was the turning point and changed things. I think they win that game. Last year doesn't go the way it does. Like I think you might be looking at seven and two rather than four and five. But alas, they went four and five, right? And they started out zero and five, um, and, and sort of that you, you reap what you sow, and 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 that's what they sowed in week one. And so they have to move. They had to move forward and, and recuperate, and they didn't. This is different. They're already four and zero. Things are already rolling in their direction. The offense is much better. The play calling is much better, and the defense is much better. Um, Things don't actually don't exactly bode well for Indiana with all those three things in mind. Yeah, and you just got to keep in mind that one. I think Penn State defensively. I I think that this Penn State defense is still one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, it's shown that running game was sometimes. I mean, against Auburn, they looked a little iffy, but. I mean, look who Auburn had. Auburn had some of the best running backs in the country, yeah. especially Tank Bigsby. I mean, geez, like yeah, Jarquez Hunter too. Jarquez Jarquez Hunter is gonna be an NFL player too. He and jumped over another human being. Yeah, that is that uh, was that was freakish. It's not easy. Yeah, uh, I can't do it. Yeah, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I can't either. Well, the, and the thing is for Indiana, uh, Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby ain't walking through that door, right? Like Stephen Carr was a highly touted kid when USC recruited him. Um, he is a talented running back. He is not Tank Bigsby, and he is not Jarquez Hunter. Uh, Penn State should not have too much of a difficult time with him. I think the aspect of the running game that could actually cause Penn State problems is Penix, right? Like, he's a legitimately good runner. Um, still, I would argue, a pass first quarterback. He's got an absurdly strong arm, um, hits open guys, works through progression. But he's still a good runner, too. And the fact that you have to account for him, I think, is what will open things up for Indiana and what could allow Stephen Carr to have a bigger game than you would expect. And you gotta, you just got to get things. I mean, if if you're Indiana, like you said, I think play you have to work off the play action too. Um, you just have to be able to get those linebackers biting, get the defensive linemen biting, and, um, you know, just attack. But, I mean, that's a tough task. I mean, Penn State's, you know, linebackers are outstanding, to say the least. I, I think – you know, Brandon Smith showed me a lot. Um, I, I just think that when I look at a guy like him, I'm just like, it was. I think it was a play last week where he just 
completely obliterated a guy. He steamrolled a few guys near yeah. the sideline. I know the one you're talking yeah. about, though. Yeah, he sent him to the the shadow realm, as uh, as you would call it, in uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day. But, uh, you know, he, he just threw him. It, it, he threw him into oblivion, you he, know? He took, his, he took a man's soul. Uh, and he's prone to do that. He did it against Idaho, and I, I yeah. think it was his first game of his career uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but, yeah, they, they have good linebackers who play well in space too. Um, so part of the advantage of running those zone reads is getting Michael Penix out into space, and, like, when you can get Penix in space, it's a good thing for Indiana. Problem is when you have good linebackers that are waiting for him, it's not as good. Uh, when you have Brandon Smith waiting there, it's not as good. So, you know, they're, they're going to be able to do more against the run or with the run uh, than Villanova was, obviously. But I don't think this is going to be an Auburn-level performance or, or anything close to that, quite frankly. So they're going to have to beat them through the air. And after watching Penix against Western Kentucky, I believe more in him. Uh, but if he goes, if he reverts back to not trusting his knee and sort of not trusting his throws, Penn State might run away with this one. Even if he does, they might run away anyways because this defense is that good. And because, frankly, the Penn State offense, uh, for as good as Western Kentucky is, Penn State's offense is still much better and should be able to put up quite a few points on Indiana's defense. Yeah, and, I mean, Brent Pry is a very good offense. I mean, defensive coordinator, so, you know, I, I just – I don't know what – I don't know what they could do. I mean, Penn State could send so much at them. It's not like, you know – it's one thing for a defense to be good and they have no depth, but this defense has depth. I mean, they can throw out, you know, their second guys and still look close to as good, you know? They can't throw out their third and fourth. Yeah, they can't throw out their third. As we found out quickly. We found that out the hard way, but. Well, and so did they. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I I think they're, Brent Pry is a good defensive coordinator and schemes things up really well for this defense and puts guys in position to succeed. And I think, I mean, coordinating on either side of the ball is about, taking your best talents, putting them in position to succeed. And Brent Pride does that more often than not for Penn State's defense. Now, to go to the other side of the ball, though, this is – Sean Clifford can't play like he did against Villanova, and in my estimation, especially with his accuracy issues. But I don't know that he has to be at his best for this, this to sort of work out in Penn State's favor. Indiana is a good defense and has a good defense. I don't know that anyone on that defense can cover Jahan Dotson, mostly because I don't know how many corners in the country can cover Jahan Dotson. And that, as it was last week and the first two weeks before that, and uh, or the first three weeks before that, excuse me, and as it will be for the next eight, is a problem for the opponent's defense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the only people that, that think could cover Jahan Dotson already went to the NFL last season. Well, if you if – you, Make me stick to one. Derek Stingley at LSU, if he's healthy, is yeah. like, maybe. Yeah. And uh, that's still a maybe. Yeah. Because, I mean, Jahan Dotson's a freak. I mean, it's just a simple fact of the matter. I mean, the guy, one, we'll say this right now, is his route running ability. I mean, he gets open every play. I've, I've never seen him not open unless they bracket him in coverage. Unless And it has to be like not just one guy. Not just two guys, but three guys. <laughs> you know, he can he can burst past two guys easily. I mean, we've seen it with him blowing past the corner and then the safety's trying to help, and then the safety gets burnt too. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, to me, all these one thing that they exploited against Villanova that I think can work in their favor is that Villanova tried to tried to make them pass the other people. And they did. You know, Sean Clifford, I'll that give him. That did not go well for Villanova. Yeah. 
Sean Clifford threw to other people. Parker Washington was wide open God knows how many times. Uh, then not only that, but then Keandre Lambert-Smith opened I don't know how many times. Uh, Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange were open, even though you know it didn't st- show up on a stat sheet the same way. But Tyler Warren, he was open. I mean, he missed Tyler Warren on that one throw, and he threw it in the back of the end zone. And I'm like – It was a – just to add a little more color to this, he, it was a crossing route that Tyler Warren was coming from the uh, press box side of the field to the far side of the field, so cl- from Clifford's right to his left. And he, Warren, like they had double coverage on Warren. Both guys were behind Tyler Warren, so they had nobody covering Tyler Warren. Yeah. Uh, and Clifford lobbed it. All he had to do was, again, throw the ball into space, let Tyler Warren run underneath it, and he didn't. He missed him, and it was incomplete. Yeah. And you got a six six tight end that yeah. who Pretty is a massive miss. target. Yeah, I mean, geez, yeah. <laughs> the, there are there are several targets for Penn State to work with here, and that plays to your advantage against the best defenses in the country. And Indiana has a good defense. I don't know that this is one of the best defenses in the country or anything like that, given what Iowa did against it week one. Um, and again, for as good as Western Kentucky is, what Western Kentucky did last week, like I, I think they they still need to. Um, they still need to, and, and Cincinnati, frankly, did against it. Mike McFadden's important in the middle at, at inside linebacker. He's sort of the heart and soul of the defense, a you know traditional inside-the-box linebacker. Makes plays in the run game, very instinctual. Uh, not great in coverage. He's fine in coverage. If you can get a running back or a tight end on him, though, you have an advantage, and I think that should be uh, a goal for Penn State. But honestly, if, if I'm Yursich, I'm just doing what they've done most of the season. And depending on what you look at, so – and you can read more about this later in the week at SendedDaily.com. The top three wide receivers on this team, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Jahan Dotson, against Auburn and uh, Wisconsin, have accounted for, depending on how you do this math, so there are two ways it works out, right? Either they have 75% of the targets on completions, they have 85% of the targets on passes that you can attribute someone getting targeted, right? Balls that weren't thrown away, balls that weren't thrown to nobody. So let's let's take that 85% number because that's like throws with intent, right? Like how many times like Sean Clifford's trying to find a wide receiver. 85% of his passes in those two games were the depth didn't get on the field. Those balls went to those top three guys. Against Indiana, that number should once again be 85% because you don't need to do much more. If you've got those three guys rolling, you're going to be in a really good spot. And frankly, they should be in a really good spot on Saturday. I don't see how they aren't. You know, you, you get those guys – like you said, get those guys rolling, and I mean, with the with the talent that they have between just those three, we're not even talking about the tight ends. We're not even talking about, you know, the fact that I think the one thing. This is what I think too with the running backs. I think if Yersich can figure out how to get those guys more involved in the passing game, it's it's scary hours for any other team. Just I mean, it, that's just a fact. Like. I think that the running backs have not – if they haven't been unlocked in the passing game yet. And I think if you get any of those guys out – well, a few of them out in space. Look at – if you get Devin Ford out in space, I mean, he can do he can do some things. Love it especially with yeah, his speed. Yeah, love it. Uh, love it being a one-cut guy. You just get him going downhill, he'll fly. Um, I think you're right, though. I think they need to get more involved. And this was – I asked James Franklin about this today. Like, is that the intent? I use the 75% number when I refer to Tim because – you know, safer side go on the low end because that I'm not sure how they chart it. Um, but I asked if 
you know, they they designed it to be this way. If they want these three guys to be dominating the target share so much, and he said, you know, most teams will be around that number, but yeah, they, they trust their top three guys, right? And and they should. And the other benefit to those three guys is that they're relatively interchangeable. They all have similar skill sets. They're all three are excellent route runners with big catch radius who can make a play with the ball in their hands. None of them are, you know, six foot three X receivers flying down the field, uh, you know, making plays over the top of guys. Dotson can do that, but it's it's not, you know, the, the focal point of his game. Um, so they have three interchangeable wide receivers, so you can throw three different looks, or not more than three looks, but you can pl- throw plenty of looks with these three guys at the Indiana defense and put them in a comp- compromised position. And, you know, we haven't mentioned this yet, it's a night game. Like, night games at Beaver Stadium are hard, and this won't be that atmosphere of the whiteout, because frankly, what is? But this should still be a difficult atmosphere for, for Indiana, and I think it's a massive difference between this and the one at Memorial Stadium, Stadium last year when Indiana upset Penn State. Um, so I just think everything is pointing toward a Penn State victory here. And I don't know about you, but this doesn't feel close to me, and I think there's a pretty big talent gap here. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think Penn State to me is, you know, one of the more talented teams in college football. Now, you know, the, we've debated whether or not they're a number than a number four team in the country. But yeah, that might be a little early for that. Yeah. No, maybe we'll we'll be there by the time the college football yeah. playoff rankings come out. Now, if they if they continue to do the things that I mean, based off of where they are, I think they're a top ten team in the country at least. Oh yeah, for sure. At least, I mean, talent wise too. And so, if that's the case, then you should beat the brakes off of Indiana. You just should. When Indiana, to give them credit, is probably a top twenty five most talented team with the way they've been recruiting lately. Yes. But this is college football. There are haves and have nots, and top twenty five is not top ten. Yeah, so just got to keep that in mind. And, you know, to me, if, you know, this this is still, I mean, this isn't, like you said, this isn't the whiteout, but it is the stripe out. And the stripe out. <laughs> and the stripe out. Yes, it is most definitely the stripe out, this, which is definitely a thing that is happening. It's going to be. There is no disputing that, that there will be stripes in the stands <laughs> and it will have no impact on anything. It will whatsoever. have absolutely no impact. Uh Except for the fact that, you know, people will be wearing those disgustingly awful overalls with the stripes that I know that. I mean, I, I could see our producer, Noah, wearing oh, those. Listen, uh, listen <laughs> if if we were to go through Noah's wardrobe, we would find three pairs of those overalls. He would 100 percent wear those overalls. Uh, but but anyways, let's <laughs> enough with the overall talk and enough with uh, me making fun of the, the stripe out. Uh, let's get into game predictions for this because, well, we make game predictions every week. Um, I will put you on the spot first because I want to, quite frankly. I don't have another good reason for that. Uh, your prediction for the game, final score, and why? 35 to 20. And the reason why is because I think, you know, actually, no, I'll make that 35 to to 17. I think that Penn State's defense keeps them in check. I think that the offense, you know, they continue to roll. Um, I think the offense has been – if it wasn't for the running game, I would say they've been playing great. Uh, I mean, the running game was decent. I think they would be playing great, quote unquote. But you know, if if Sean Clifford has a another decent game, I mean, I think this is an easy win. If he plays fine, this is an easy win. If he plays as good as he did against Auburn, I mean, this is a blowout. So I think he'll play fine. I think he'll play, you know, decent. 
that and you know if he if he gives you a two touchdown zero interception performance with 210 yards you won the game by a ton because I, I think the defense will put them the defense will take them as far as they need to go and I think that the running game if you give them good field position and they just wear down on the opposing defense I think you know this this may be a game that they get that going they weren't able to get it going before so I don't know. Maybe maybe you just force the run down their throat and get that play action or RPOs going. And and I think also, you know, one thing that I didn't see as much from the run game that I would like to see a little bit more of, Sean Clifford has some wheels. Get the read option going a little bit more I, often. I, I think the the problem is when when they're running that zone read, a lot of it is uh, a zone read into it. Well, it's, it's really an RPO. It's not really a zone read. And it's they want to throw the ball out of that because you're right, Sean Clifford's a good athlete. Jahan Dotson's a better athlete. Yeah. And, you know, if you can get him Absolutely. the ball in space and if you can get Washington the ball in space and Lambert Smith and so on and so forth. So I do agree with you. He, I, I think the the sweet spot is like two to four carries a game for him where he keeps it on his, a true zone read rather than an RPO. Um, but I will go with 31 to 17 Penn State. Um, and I think, and I'm sure this will be thrown back in my face if, if I'm wrong about this because what isn't on the internet these days, but... I think there's a chance Penn State holds this team to less than 10 points. I think there's a chance that Penn State looks better than it did against Villanova. And I think there's a chance that this game ends up like 35-6. to six. Uh, I think there's a clear talent gap here, like I said. I think there there is a – for as good uh, of a coaching staff as Tom Allen has, I think Mike Yurisich is one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. And I think he's going to coordinate like that on Saturday. I think they're going to put up a bunch of points. I think they're going to look good in the process, and I think their defense is going to be excellent. And, you know, that Indiana – I don't want to say Indiana doesn't have a chance here because that's unfair. They're, I think, around a 10-point underdog. They've, they've got a legitimate chance to win this game. It's a tough environment. It would be an upset, of course, if they did, but they do have a chance. I just think this feels like a and, – and James Franklin avoided calling this a revenge game, and, you know, no one at Penn State, given the 1-0 mindset, will call this a revenge game, but – I think they might want some revenge, you know, as I as I put words in their mouth. Uh, I think they might want some revenge, and I think this is their chance to get it. And, you know, what better place than Beaver Stadium in a night game? And if, if they do win this game, I mean, to be completely frank, it's a possibility that they could be a top three team. I mean, because I, I, I mean, that Arkansas-Georgia game is going to be a tough game. As we veer off topic, I wanted to pick. We do game picks every week, as I'm sure some of our listeners know, and you know we they're in the newspaper every week. I so badly want to pick Arkansas in that game. I, 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 I picked Arkansas. I don't think I can do it. I picked Arkansas, and the reason why is because my dad is from Little Rock, and oh, there it I is. have to there I have is. to give Arkansas their credit. They've been playing out of their mind lately, and not well, only that, but I mean this look. If, Listen, maybe if Arkansas wins, that they'll they'll be moved up in the pools for for some voters who still believe they're worse some, than teams they've beaten. Some somebody will probably throw Arkansas above Penn State. I could see it happening. Oh, t- people, I could see it happening. If Arkansas won, Arkansas in the top five, and I listen, I don't hate that. I, I think honestly, yeah, I, I think college football is a mess behind Alabama and Georgia. Yes, and I, th- I think you know to me. Look, if Arkansas ends up five and zero after all of this, I mean, I, I personally think that. I mean, I, you gotta. They play in the SEC and they beat. I mean, if they beat Texas A and M and then beat Georgia, even if they squeak by Georgia, I mean, you gotta call them one of the best teams in the country. Here's, here's the thing, I don't think they're gonna beat Georgia. And here, the other thing is, 
when are we going to stop falling for this with AM? <laughs> like, it feels like every year yeah. AM's a top I mean, 10. but also this that is, quarterback was like, out too. They just sure. don't have the depth for at sure. quarterback, which they should have. I'm no, like Jimbo. No doubt. Know. That's fair. Kellen Mond was really good too, and it happened last year. Yeah. You know, they. this is we're, – we're turning from Texas is back to Texas A&M is back, seemingly with – with how often we want to declare this a top ten team that inevitably loses like two of its first six games, but I digress. That is that is I mean, not a rant also, for now. Alabama has Ole Miss too. Yeah. Oh, I'm bar- listen. That's gonna be a fun game to watch. I uh, I will be watching as much college football as I can before we head up into the press box. Uh, it is going to be a good time this Saturday, uh, and you can find all of our coverage. You know, from this Saturday, all of our coverage of Penn State Athletics, all of Kyle's coverage of high school preps, uh, athletics, and all that uh, at centerdaily.com, you know, where you can find all of our work. But that'll do it for this week's episode. You can follow Kyle and I on Twitter at at John Sauber and at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. Please rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.